Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Happy to be back with you folks for another week of this National Crawford Roundtable Podcast uh, with John and Roger, myself, Bob Duco, and the prodigal Neil Boron not with us this week, so we certainly wish him all the best. Guys, how are you? Doing well, Bob. How are you? Yes, good, Bob. Doing just lovely, thank you. So uh, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We had a discussion several months back on this show about transgenderism, gender identity, confusion, things like that. We haven't talked about it in several months, but uh, there's been some new things happening in the news regarding the whole transgenderism movement. Uh, A big one is, of course, the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, uh, who used the word filth to describe what he doesn't want schools teaching children as far as transgenderism and homosexuality. And, of course, now they're all going after him large. Uh, this is a man who said he was speaking in a church. It was actually Ashbury Baptist Church in June earlier this year. And he was showing what I honestly believe to be righteous anger. Uh, he was saying this is not right. We, the, the, you know, homosexuality and transgenderism and this filth has no place in our schools. We had no business pushing this this filth on our children in the schools. And I'm not going to be afraid to say it. And I don't care who doesn't like it. Uh, well, anyway, he has been viciously attacked. Of course, uh, people demanding that he resign. He put out a video doubling down, in essence, saying, no, wrong is wrong, okay? Uh, If somebody wants to be gay or transgender in America, that's fine. This is America. Uh, That's entirely up to them. But in the schools, no, I'm not going to stand by and just pretend it's okay to force this upon our kids. And then even in his video that he put out, showed some really graphic images of, in essence, homoerotic porn in cartoon form that's being uh, placed in, in that are in books that are recommended reading books for children in schools. And he says enough is enough. Franklin Graham coming to his defense saying, quote, thank you, Mark Robinson, for having the guts to stand up and tell the truth. God bless you. But he's getting hammered large. Now, you add to this, California signing this new law, Gavin Newsom, requiring large retailers to have a gender-neutral aisle for their kids' toys and other items. Then we have Lego announcing that they're removing figurines with gender stereotypes because these are, quote, harmful gender stereotypes. And this on top of more and more school districts ordering their teachers to use preferred gender pronouns for children, and even keeping this a secret from the parents, where uh, at PTA meetings, the teachers are basically uh, calling little Johnny Johnny instead of Joanna and wink, wink, because your parents you know, don't know about this and the home isn't a safe place, if you will. And so I got to tell you, there's some really troubling trends that are taking place with this whole transgenderism movement. It seems like it's going on steroids. So uh, with all that happening, that's what we thought we would talk about this week and kind of explore and unpack this if we could. I want to start with California, since we've got our own resident Californiaite, Roger Marsh, of course, of the bottom line from the People's Republic of California. Roger, before we get to the North Carolina 
Lieutenant Governor here. Uh, I want to get your take on what's happening out there in California. This law that Gavin Newsom signed, I believe it was this past Saturday, uh, requiring large retailers, or at least retailers with 500 employees or more, and that's not per store, that's that's company-wide within the state of California. So this could be smaller retailers that just have several locations. Bottom line, they have to have a gender-neutral aisle. You know, I'll tell you, Roger, a long time ago, I was in the retail business. I used to own a, a small chain of sportswear stores. And I just, I can't even imagine a government, a state government stepping in and telling me, here's the colors you have to paint certain walls in your aisles, and here is how you have to merchandise your store. To think that the government is stepping in and doing something like this and that it's considered, quote-unquote, harmful for a girl to go down a a, a blue-painted aisle with G.I. Joe dolls or a boy to go on a pink-painted aisle with little tiaras and glitter is beyond me. But this is where we are. This is your California, Roger. Yeah, I know. Love it or leave it. And uh, I realize a lot of people here in the People's Republic have left uh, for simply this type of lunacy. You know what boggles my mind, uh, guys, is the fact that many of the laws that are being authored, and then, of course, Governor Newsom is signing, are being authored by people who are in the state assembly and the state senate who are pediatricians, who are psychologists, who are, I mean, medical professionals, people who should know better. And yet the idea that gender is somehow a construct Unless you're a feminist, then all of a sudden gender's everything. You know, I mean, it just, there's so much inconsistency, but it, it, it really harkens to the fact that we've entered into this new era of evil. And yes, I said evil. Um, I'll agree with uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson about the whole, you know, the filth comment because of the fact that if the enemy can't convince people to change their mind on certain issues as they are, why not go after institutions? And of course, the institution of the family has been under attack for years, institution of the church, institution of the government, academia, and now even to the point where the gender confusion has, has moved from gender dysphoria to gender confusion. And this is just all part and parcel, a part of that. What is crazy about it is the fact that uh, I don't know if you guys saw the video that's been going viral of the, the Ben & Jerry's co-founders who were being <laughs> right. interviewed by a guy, right? It was a and train they, wreck interview. Was a, it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's 35 of the best seconds of video you'll ever see. As he sister goes, uh, I don't know why we don't. Yeah, you talk uh, about the, the dead air. Days. Well, the 15 right? seconds of dead air before he finally said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's epic. But, you know, in a nutshell, that minute and 15 second clip, that's leftism. Right there. That's right. absolute leftism. I'm mad about this. I don't play the movie out and see how it actually does harm people. The fact that we are trying to eliminate, quote unquote, gender stereotypes is creating so much confusion and gender dysphoria that rank and file kids who didn't have it are now wondering, gosh, am I supposed to be fluid too? I mean, it's oppressive to businesses. Can you imagine going to any of the women's clothing stores around here that kind of fall into the big box category and selling them, wait a minute now, you know, since you have more than 100 locations, everything has to be painted yellow. Everything has to be painted gray. You know, you, can, you can't have a boy section, a girl section. Fun, fun story, I mean, now that it's 20 years later, there are lots of tra- fashion trends that have happened here in California. I don't know if they've made their way to Colorado and Michigan, but when my kids were in junior high, the big trend was boys buying girls' jeans and then trying to wear them as low as they could, see if they could fit into them, and girls, I kid you not, buying boys' underwear. And I remember taking my son school shopping, and we just needed a couple of packs of underwear. We could not find any. And I was complaining about it at work the next day, and one of the dads here goes, yeah, my daughter does that. That's kind of a trend. And I'm like, what? They would wear like the little action figure underwear. And, okay, it was a trend, and people got over it. 
Now it's like, okay, well, how do you define the genders? How do you define the sexes? I mean, if there's 73 different versions of all this stuff, and now we're taking away the pink and blue, it's, it's lunacy. And yet when you see what the evil that is running the government here in the People's Republic of California, guys, you're, we're the tip of the spear. You know, John Rush rushed reason out of Denver, Colorado. I think to myself, uh, what must John think about this new California law? Because you, first of all, you're libertarian and you're a business owner. So this has got to be about having your head explode to think about the government stepping in and telling you uh, what colors you can paint the walls in certain aisles of a retail store and where you're allowed to uh, merchandise and place and display certain items within your store. I, I can't even imagine what that's doing to you, the business owner, let alone you, the libertarian business owner. Far too much government intrusion is probably the way I should say that, guys. This is not the proper role of government for all of you out there listening that you know maybe even are on the left-hand side of the aisle, which I know you listen because I get emails from some of you along those lines as well. So th this is not the proper role of government. I know we're going to talk more in depth about you know the whole transgender you know issues that are out there, which. Back in the day, if you thought that way, you went to the funny farm, but that's a whole other conversation, again, that we'll get into. But to your point, Bob, no, this is not what government should be doing. In fact, in California, and I'm sure Roger can attest to this, what Governor Newsom really needs to be worrying about is how does he get his port emptied? How does he get the ships that are out in sea right. into the yep. port unloaded, yep. handled, and get that merchandise out into the into the marketplace? To me, that that is a bigger thing that needs to get taken care of right now than all of this other nonsense government works on. That is the proper role of government. How do we speed up that process of shipments coming into the country and not worrying about whether or not there's a, a shim bathroom? Well, I'll tell John, you what. Not, John, not to Go worry. Ahead. Secretary Pete at the Department of uh, Transportation, <laughs> he, they formed a task force, and they're having meetings, and they're going to do a study analysis to find out how to get the ships out of, out of the ocean. So not to worry. We've got this covered. You know, it, it, it is amazing, as you point out, Secretary Pete. I was going to bring up Pete Buttigieg myself here, Roger. I mean, my goodness, you have a guy. You talk about somebody that is over his head. You look at what's happening right now in transportation in America as far as the supply chain lines. Yes, these ships stuck in port. We can, we're already being warned and told, uh, hey, this Christmas, better plan on the fact that uh, you're not going to be able to buy things you want to buy, including toys for your kids and such, what you're looking for. We can't get the merchandise to the shelves. Uh, stores with empty shelves in America. That's not the kind of thing we're used to seeing in America. Add to that, oh, I don't know, the airline industry, you know, Southwest Airlines canceling thousands of flights happening. And the transportation secretary is basically a kid who his, his resume that he brought to the table here was he was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, 100,000 no residents. Yeah, a, a, a mayor of a small town of 100,000 people, and he's the transportation secretary and the right. media – they That's couldn't right. care less about that. All they care That's about right. is slobbering all over his gay marriage where they've got now twins that they're that they're raising, and isn't that wonderful? Just uh, okay. real, real quick, I, I want to add I something to what you just yeah. said, too. 
Bob. Yeah, and then we, and then we got a break, too. So go ahead. Yeah, something that's going to be coming up here rather shortly, too, is, you know, all of this vaccine mandates, which I know we talked about some last week, mm-hmm. but what's going to be hitting everything uh, very hard here in the not-too-distant future is the trucking industry, where a lot of these guys are going to refuse to get vaccinated. And I heard right. this morning the train industry, the freight industry, yes. there's mm-hmm. a lot of those guys that are ex-military that are not going to get vaccinated. You're going to see shipments even slow down more so than what they currently are right now. Again, this is what they should be focusing on, not uh, his and her bathroom. That's right. And by the way, don't anybody buy for a second that the Southwest Airlines cancellations are due to, quote, weather. All right. <laughs> there was no uh, weather, that, guys. That, that, is, mm-hmm. that is absurd. You know something? A big percentage of airline pilots happen to be former military. That's uh, right. It's very common for them to be uh, Air Force pilots and then go into the. And so these are military people that are saying, uh, no, I don't think so. You're not going to force something like this on me. So, uh, oh boy, I'll tell you what, let's take a short break. We'll pick it up from there and continue this National Crawford Roundtable. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth for Life from the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with John Rush, Roger Marsh, myself, Bob Duco, uh, the wayward Neil Boron. We're going to run intervention and, and bring him back into the fold one of these weeks. Uh, we wish Neil the best, obviously, this week. Look forward to having him back. Right now, we digressed a little bit with everything that's going on, but that's all right. We can, you know, conversations can be fluid, not gender, but conversations can be fluid. We're primarily focusing on while the latest with the gender uh, neutral, gender confusion issues being pushed, transgenderism. So we talked about California. Uh, let me ask you guys about this um, this lieutenant governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. Now here's a gentleman. He is he's a Christian. He's a conservative Republican. He's African American, so I, I'm confused. I didn't think there was any such thing. Uh, I thought you weren't allowed to be black and conservative, but apparently he is. He was speaking in this church, Ashbury Baptist Church, and this was in June when he declared, "Hey, look, enough of the teaching transgenderism and homosexuality to our children inside the schools. They do not need to have this filth shoved upon them." And he he doubled down. He says, "I'm going to call it filth. Okay, that's what this is." I completely agree with him on this. And then as I mentioned earlier, he he then posted a a video afterward. And I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, is he going to go soft and say, "All right, let me clarify. I regret my comments." And no, he doubled down. He said, "Look, we don't we don't hold it against anybody. If they want to believe that they're a different gender, that's fine. But there is no excuse for shoving this kind of nonsense down the throats of our kids in the schools. Enough is enough. And I'm going to stand up and speak out against that. And I don't care who likes it and doesn't like it. You think I'm going to resign? I ain't going anywhere. And I'm just sitting there cheering this guy on, going, "Okay, 2024, maybe 2028. You know, I don't know. We'll see." Uh, but I, I'd like to get some of your thoughts, first of all, guys, as we kind of go around the table. And maybe, John, I, I'd like to start with you. Uh, the uh, the word filth, some people are saying that that's too harsh, that somebody in a church, that it's one thing to say uh, homosexuality and transgenderism, it's not appropriate to teach in the schools, but to use the word filth is to apply too harsh of a word to other human beings and such. Now, personally, 
I think it's perfectly appropriate. It is filth. But in today's culture, uh, there are some that's saying that goes too far and it backfires, blows up in our face, and just makes us look bad. What, what do you think of his comments? What do you think of the attacks he's under right now? The definition of filth. Let me read it for everybody. All right. Foul or putrid matter, moral corruption or defilement, something that tends to corrupt or defile. I think he picked the right word. Yeah, you know what? I do too. I do too. Uh, but of course, they're coming after him large for this, and so well, of course, because it's not the PC thing to say. You know, this is this is not the direction that. And, and guys, <clears throat> I know you hear me harp on this a lot, and I'm sorry, but I've got to keep harping on it. This is still about the root issues going on in the country. That is a complete communist takeover of the country. This is just one of the tools they use to get that done. If they can corrupt absolutely from the inside out, they win. And this is why it's so important, whether you're a Christian or not, even if you're just a conservative that loves the country, we have to push back against this stuff. It's absolutely imperative that we do. Otherwise, we lose the country. Absolutely. Roger, your take as a pastor on... Uh, this gentleman using the word filth, too harsh? Nope, not at all. I, you know, as John defined it, I mean, it, you can call it whatever you want to, but in the, at the end of the day, when you consider what is actually happening to people, it is not terribly loving to uh, refer to something that is that you know heinous as anything other than that. Now, I understand in the context of what you were speaking, he's talking at, initially to uh, his church crowd and uh, community. He doubles down you know, in a video, and again, that's for his constituents. And I admire him for taking a word like that and using it that way because we have softened language to the point in this culture where we don't use things like that anymore. I mean, the PC culture has gotten away from the proper use of certain terms and, and kind of eliminated certain others. And when you get right down to it. I mean, the Family Research Council put together a, a, a list about, basically it's a small booklet on how uh, concerned citizens can engage the public schools, for example. And when you th consider what happens when you've got a group like the American Library Association, of course, you know, with their drag queen story hours, they've got this diversity, equity, and inclusion list of, of books and readings that they recommend to kids, to school-age kids. They have a book, actually, that, that, that's called, uh, it's, let's see, the title is, uh, it's a counting by numbers book, and it's called Pride One two, three. And it figures diverse illustrations and a rhyming accounting book about going to a pride parade. This is for kids who are ages one, two, I mean, learning how to count and they're learning mm. how to count by going to a pride parade. There's another book about a lesbian teenage girl. Uh, it's called The Scape Gracers. Uh, an outcast teenage lesbian forms a coven with popular girls at school and together they cast curses and try to elude witch hunters. I mean, this is just, this is the kind of stuff that is happening in public schools right now. So for the lieutenant governor of North Carolina to say, hey, whether it's in a church or whether it's on the campaign trail, he's, he's echoing the sentiments of a lot of people and a lot of constituents. Now, here's where the cancel culture comes in, though, unfortunately, right? I mean, the fact that the culture has been so conditioned to say you can't make any disparaging remarks about anybody in the LGBT community. So USA Today, CNN, MSNBC, they're all coming out with their, you know, uh, rush to, uh, to, to comfort pieces. Oh, well, this is horrible. This is outlandish. This is outrageous. Well, actually, you know, if you get right down, 
down to it, it's truthful. I mean, it may sound harsh to people who are not used to ever being criticized, but I mean, it is harsh. If a guy who is a man of faith says, I think this is filth, he has every right to say it. He has every right to say it on the campaign trail. He has every right to say it in his church. Now, how the left responds to it, well, remember Dr. Eric Walsh uh, here in California about six, seven years ago, had been the director of public health in the city of Pasadena, then became the director of public health in Atlanta. And this guy is also a lay minister in a Seventh-day Adventist church, preached sermons very similar to what uh, the lieutenant governor was saying about this type of thing. And literally, he got run out of two jobs. He got run, his marriage ended, the death threats coming into his home, all because he spoke about biblical Christianity and biblical role of marriage. And this was a year or so before the Obergefell decision. So the left lynch mob will come for traditional Christian values. The question is, how are we going to respond to their attacks? Yeah, it's Good point. I'll tell you what, short break. We'll pick it up from there uh, coming up next here on the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, uh, John Rush, Neil Boron be back with us in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're talking about the latest in all the transgenderism movement. And by the way, in talking about that lieutenant governor, in North Carolina and the anger that he expressed. Sometimes people feel as though it's wrong because this is one of the things I heard too from some people. Oh, but his tone was so harsh. He was like, wait a minute here. Since when is it wrong to engage or to, to express righteous anger? Sometimes it's the right thing to do. Jesus himself certainly did this. I mean, my goodness, he you know, overturning the tables and chasing people out with a whip from the temple, but then also just some of the rhetoric that Jesus used. Uh, look at the way that he talked to some of the Pharisees, okay? Your father, the devil. You know, I would be a liar like you, okay? You brood of vipers, which is basically a nice biblical way of saying, hey, you bunch of snakes. I, I mean, Jesus was pretty harsh, and you know something? He did not sin in any of this. So there, there's a difference between expressing righteous anger and actually sinning with hatred in your heart for individuals. And it sounds to me like like this lieutenant governor of North Carolina, John, was expressing righteous anger. Yeah, what's the old saying? You, you can hate the sin and love the sinner. I mean, right. if we don't start standing up for some of these things that we know are flat out wrong, which, by the way, this is one of those situations. I don't care. Anybody wants to slice this up. What we're doing to our children is not only a sin, but it's one of the most evil things we could ever do to a generation in the history of mankind. I, I can't believe that we're even having to have these conversations and, and go down this path, guys. I mean, again, when I was a kid, you would have never thought about talking about this stuff. It just didn't exist. You, you'd have been labeled a, a, a weirdo. You'd have been in a psych ward. This stuff just wouldn't have happened. It just shows you how far the left has pushed that pendulum over to where, you know, this is now not only acceptable talk, but if you go against that acceptable talk, you're now the bad person. Look how far we've come. Oh, I know. I know. Well, and Roger, to, to John's point here, 
how is this not child abuse for children? You have little boys and little girls in school that they weren't confused before, but now it's being in, gender confusion is being introduced to them. Little Johnny is actually being encouraged to think a new thought. Hey, maybe you're a girl. Would you like to be called he or would you like to be called she? Do you want to be a little boy or do you think you're a little girl? Look, little kids play fantasy all the time. If you ask a little kid, hey, do you want to be Superman? Well, these days, maybe it's not a good idea to want mm. the kid to be Superman. Superman, uh, the whole gay thing now with DC Comics. But uh, you ask a little kid, hey, do you want to be Batman? Do you want to be Kids have fantasy. And so you start asking a little child, hey, do you want to be a little girl? They could think that this is cute. And then before you know it, it ends up catching on. And Roger, I just, it blows my mind that we are introducing gender confusion to little children at such a young age. I don't know how this is not child abuse, psychological yeah. child abuse. Absolutely right. I, I ran into a, a pediatrician years ago during the Common Core debacle when that was a big push in the Obama administration. And she told me that her practice was being inundated with kids at that point who were literally having nervous breakdowns, eight, nine, ten year olds, because Common Core was so completely illogical. Now imagine that five year old who is having this conversation and wondering, am I going to go to bed one night as a boy and wake up as a girl? Because, you know, your gender is fluid and they don't, I mean, the child child abuse is putting it mildly, and 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 this is one of the things. There's a uh, a former professor at Southwestern uh, Southeastern Theological Seminary, Bo uh, Robert Oscar Lopez, formerly gay, who's now. Um, uh, uh, happily married with two kids who talks about that aspect of the gay lifestyle and he says look you're abusing children when you're confusing their gender you're abusing children when you deny them the right to have both of their parents i mean th there's there's something insidious about the lgbtq movement and the media version of course is it that they're all superheroes literally now because of superman but because i mean they can do no wrong watch the characters on television look at the movies at mayor pete everyone that is presented in the media is presented as an agent of truth and justice and light and goodness and anybody who would speak ill of them is the bad guy i mean literally have we gotten to the point where you know there people will surround themselves with whatever their itching ears want to hear i mean woe to those who call good evil and evil good i mean we're we're living that right now in 2021 it's an, it really is insidious it is filthy and there's something that we can do i think in the culture to stand up to it yeah and well i'll tell you what i one of the things that that i'm really concerned about. And I know I've, I've talked about this on, on my show here in Michigan, and there are some people that feel that this is hyperbole, exaggeration. I don't believe that it is. I think no. that right now we're on trend for parents to start losing custody of their children if they don't gender affirm the opposite mm -hmm. gender for their kids uh, yep. to where where you're you're just you're minding your business someday and then as bing bong and who is it's child protective services we need to interview yep. your child why Child Protective Services determines that little Johnny wants to be Susie, and he's been playing Susie at school, mm -hmm. but mom and dad right, won't buy him uh, a dress and let him live as a girl. And, and I'm telling you, John, I would not be a bit yep. surprised. Uh, and we got about you know, less than 60 seconds of the break, but, but maybe you can give some comment on that real quick. I would not well, be a bit surprised if we didn't see parents I, lose I custody of their children. I agree. I've got a real quick story. When my, my brother, who's now passed, as you guys all know, but when he was mm -hmm. young, I had a cousin, and she wanted a, a baby doll for Christmas. And he must have been, I don't know, probably six or seven years of age at the time. And, and, that, and he, would, he had that on his mind that he wanted a baby doll just like my cousin had gotten for her birthday for Christmas. And he hounded and hounded and hounded to the point where my dad finally said, 
you are a boy, and boys do not play with dolls, and you are never going to have a doll for Christmas. Don't even think about it. And you know what? That's what parents need to be doing. But my dad, right. to your point, if that were today, Bob, it'd be a totally different situation. I know. And you know something? I, the, the argument will be made that that's psychological harm to the child because harm is the word we're using right now, okay? The, the, we're being told that we have to stop, quote, harmful uh, gender stereotypes. And so uh, harm to the child is the is the guise that this whole thing is going to be under to justify, I think, taking children away from parents. We're going to dive a little bit more into this coming up next in the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You can listen to the second half online, wherever you listen to podcasts online, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Or you can just go to Crawford Media Group. .net. We will gladly welcome your five-star review as well. So CrawfordMediaGroup.net and the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast online next. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, Roger Marsh of the bottom line from the People's Republic of California, John Rush of Rush to Reason from Denver, Colorado. Of course, Neil Boron not with us this week on Neil Boron Live from Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. We're talking about all the latest as it relates to the entire transgenderism movement, gender confusion, and everything else. Uh, let's go a little bit deeper, real, Roger. Bob, real quick. I'm going to yeah. add real quick to just something. Please. You know, we were tight on time. Ending that, what I wanted to say and follow up with was, as most people would know, and they've t- they've you know heard me talk about my brother. You know, he went on to be a, a great man of God. You know, loved the Lord, was in ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, did a lot of things to you know to further things in that world, and and by no means was ever feminine in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he and I grew up, we hunted, we fished. I mean, we were we were men's men, and, and you know, even to the day he died, he still was. So the point being. Because he wanted to do something that he saw one of his, and our cousins are really close, it was almost like a sibling in a way, because he saw somebody else that he was close to playing with something and he wanted it, and yet my dad saying, no, Mark, this is not what boys do. There was no psychological ill effect on my brother whatsoever in my dad taking that stand. The problem we've got is we're just now going to feed an entire generation of psychological problems from this point forward, guys, and what we're doing. I know, and, and this is abusing children, but I, I guess, Roger, to the point that we were making before, uh, this is, I, I think, a genuine, legitimate concern that parents need to have that if we don't, if I can uh, quote that great theologian Barney Fife, nip it in the bud, <laughs> if we don't, then I don't think we're that far away from children being removed from their parents' household, put in foster care, and then parents, Christian parents especially, having to go to a judge and try to convince a judge to get custody of their own child back for no reason other than they would not uh, perpetuate and feed gender confusion with their child. Yeah, and it really depends on who the judge wants to listen to. Uh, you guys are probably familiar with the uh, case of James Younger, the boy in oh, Texas. Yeah. Who, yeah, that that case, that 
that case is just a real mind bend. I mean, when you see what the parents are doing and the fact that dad has been fighting so hard for these boys, uh, James and his twin brother, who, who love being boys. And, but for whatever reason, mom, who's divorced dad and, and now is a, she's a pediatrician or something like that, has decided that James is actually a girl who should be called Luna and dressed in girls' clothing. Right. And, and she keeps winning in court. They keep finding activist judges in Texas of all places, which I find kind of strange. But the, the fact that dad is now facing exorbitant fees and legal charges and challenges and jail threatens and stuff like that, just because he's trying to say, look, I'm trying to raise my son to be a son, I mean, to be a man. Uh, John, to your point, I'm glad your dad intervened, and it's nice to see parents intervening in cases like this. Um, if you've ever done any work with Denise Schick in the Help for Families ministry, Denise's ministry started uh, actually when she was very young. Her dad came out to her when she was in elementary school and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to have a sex change. And uh, then they used to fight for clothes. Um, literally, he would come over to her house after he divorced her mom and steal her clothes. It was just when she was in high school. She has a whole slew of really helpful children's books on gender confusion, gender dysphoria. And she actually has a book that's based on a true story. Uh, it's called The Boy Who Liked Tea Parties. And it's about a dad who notices that his son's spending a lot of time at a, a female friend, a classmate's house. And whenever they're there, he's always talking about these tea parties they have. And so finally he goes, okay, what's going on with my son? And so he asks if he can come along and he realizes that he's he goes over there his son isn't gay his son isn't weird he's just friends with this girl and when they get together that's what she likes to do so he does it too and they also go and play and do other things and you know but the fact that dad did a temperature check on his son and said hey look i want to find out what's going on here and i have to establish i got to take responsibility for my kids and i think too many parents are trusting that the teachers are going to take responsibility and the state's going to take responsibility. Heck, Bob, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, you, if you've seen the, the the latest installment of God's Not Dead, the We the People, uh, the fourth mm -hmm. movie, talks about homeschooling and the government intrusion there. That it's it's only a matter of time before there's a knock at the door and the state is coming and telling you how to run your family and how you to raise your kids. And uh, this, is a this is not a time for parents to shrink. It's not a time for grandparents to take a step back. And trust me, guys, there are 50 states plus the District of Columbia. This is not one of those situations where you say, wow, it's weird in California. I'll just move to Texas and that will solve the problem. It's seeping throughout the entire fabric of our nation. And it's going to take, take us to stand up and, and either put up or shut up. Yeah, well, what does that mean, though, Roger? How do we do that? Because I, I, I can imagine people listening right now going, this is really frustrating. I want to take a stand, but what do I do? You know, you can't just run out the front door of the house and get in the car and just drive in an angry way. It's like, okay, at some point you're going to be like, oh, where am I going and what am I doing and what's my goal? What do people physically do to stop this from happening? Well, there are a lot of good uh, defense organizations. I think of uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, Thomas More mm -hmm. Society, and other groups. If you do find yourself needing legal help, I mean, there are places that you can fight these things in court if you do need the the, the legal assistance. That and they work pro bono. I mean, they work on donations and things of that nature. There are some legal remedies, and of course, supporting guys like Governor Mark Bro or Lieutenant Governor. Maybe I was a Freudian slip there. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Huh. Maybe he'll wind up becoming the governor of North Carolina, uh, trusting that God will provide us with good godly leadership. But I think at the end of the day, it really, for me, it becomes a matter of saying, am I going to take personal responsibility for this? Instead of saying, doggone it, if Donald Trump had won, we wouldn't have this problem. But rather, I mean, I don't think we would have it as badly as we do, but that can't be the answer. It can't. The solution has to start with us having the moral fortitude to say, look, I know it's true. I know what's right. I know who I serve. And the laws say what the laws say, but this is the way I choose to live, even if it means I lose my business, even if it means I face jail time or something like that. And, and 
if we're not prepared to do that, then quite frankly, we're just going to get run over. Ultimately, the judge and jury we have to stand before is God. I mean, yeah. that's first and foremost. And so we can't yeah. use the excuse of, well, in California it's this way, but in Colorado it isn't, so I'll just move to Colorado. I mean, nothing wrong, nothing against Colorado, John. I love Colorado. No, that <laughs> doesn't solve the problem, though. It, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It does, we, we can't outrun this problem. It's here, right. and we have to deal with it. John, right. do you have any suggestions about what people do, I mean, in a practical sense? Well, you know, I think this is one of those things where, and unfortunately, this is where uh, we, I've talked about this yesterday on air some, uh, and guys, I'm not, again, just bear with me, not trying to be critical here, but as a, as a church in general, we failed at teaching civics and how people should be involved. In fact, we did quite the opposite years and years ago when I was a kid. You know, it just wasn't the, it just wasn't right, quote unquote, for Christians to be involved in politics. In fact, it was very much discouraged, and we're paying for that today. It's yeah. very important for Christians to be involved in politics. They need to be out at their their local school board meetings. They need to be involved in the caucus system we have in, in at least here in Colorado. We do it that way, and in the primaries to boot and vote and and research the, the topics that are out there, and not just go along with the flow and whatever sign you see in a in a yard. It's very important for people to get involved and make the changes necessary. Uh, it, we have to st- we have to stand up, fight back, be involved, and do the things necessary. And I think what's happened, and, and Bob, I'd like to get you know you and Roger's opinion on this. But you know the church has used certain portions of Scripture in such uh, an ill-mannered way, and you know this respect government and do exactly what government says. The problem with that in the United States of America and the system that we have is. We are in charge of government. We are the actual authorities in this country. The voter is. So the reality is, if we're going to respect and, and behave and, and, and really you know, be under authority, it's the authority of the voters in this country. It's us. Go look in the mirror. That's who you're under the authority of in this country, not the politician that we hired to help us run things. We've got things so backwards that I think even today in the church, we're just not teaching things correctly. And in a way, we've just sort of gone with the flow because of some of that 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 un, unwise teaching we've done for the past 50 some years guys mm-hmm. How, actually John let me let me ask you about that because you bring up a really good point that, that I want to go a little bit deeper into trying to understand but we're going to take a short break and pick it up from there next here on this National Crawford Roundtable learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gray. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, John Rush, Roger Marsh, myself, Bob Duco, uh, Neil Boron be back with us in a couple of weeks talking about the whole transgenderism movement on steroids and how far it's getting now in light of the lieutenant governor of North Carolina and him getting attacked uh, for his comments. Uh, John, you're talking about how sometimes we as Christians tend to overplay and read too much into, for example, Romans 13, obey the governing authorities and this type of thing, and where we draw that line. And as you point out correctly, that we're a government of we the people, so we are the ones who make the laws. You say not the politicians. Let me play, pardon the term, devil's advocate for just a moment. Uh, We are a constitutional Republican, Republican. What that means is that we... As the people, we don't actually pass the laws, we don't pass the bills 
and then sign them into law ourselves, we elect our representatives who we then elect them to represent us to pass these bills, and then it's signed in law by the president, the governor, whomever. So if uh, if we disagree with what the representative in our district did, whether we voted for him or we didn't vote for him, the bottom line is they are the elected representative. They are the ones who are charged with the responsibility to pass the bills, and it's the governor or the president who's given the responsibility and the authority to sign those bills into law. So therefore, unless we're being ordered to commit a sin specifically, don't we have a biblical obligation to follow the laws of our governing authorities? The fact that we elected these governing authorities who let us down doesn't change the fact that they're still the governing authorities. My devil's advocate response, how would you respond as a Christian yeah, the, and libertarian? Yeah, the way I would respond to that is it depends on the law. It depends on what it's making us do. And to your point, if it goes against our own belief system, and you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said it best, one has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, mm-hmm. one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust, an unjust law is no law at all. So again, you have to look at the law. What's it trying to do? You know, you look at this bathroom situation, for example, and as a Christian business owner, if they came along to me and said, you've got to have these bathrooms or you're going to close your doors... I'd be one of those to just say, pound sand. I'm not doing it, guys. This is one of those areas that I'm just going to stand up and say, no, you are wrong. And then, one step further, it's our responsibility to change these people out. And that's where I feel, Bob and and, and Roger both, that we as Christians have failed. We have gotten so far away from the political climate and what's going on. And I think even a lot of Christians would say, well, you know, let's just let God sort it out. You know, I said yesterday on air, don't blame God for the for the stupid voting decisions that we make in this country. It's not God's fault we didn't get out and vote properly. Don't blame all of this on him. That's not fair. Roger, your take. Yeah, 25 million Christians who are eligible to vote don't vote every year in elections. Thank you. So don't blame God for Joe Biden being president, by the way. Exactly, exactly. And and to that point, too, John, I mean, this is the wisest serpents and gentlest doves part. If 25 million Christians had voted, there's still evidence that a lot of those votes would have been shredded, not counted, you know, all sorts of illegal maneuvering. One of the things that I think the, the, the conservative side of the equation missed in the 2020 elections was the fact that the Democrat side and the leftist side had been working feverishly to change laws and rig the system so they could, in fact, win, which, in fact, they did. And years from now, we'll look back and find out that just as there was no Russian collusion and Hillary Clinton was the one who was making up all the lies right before the 2016 election, we'll see all this come to fruition. But this is a complicated world. And quite frankly, I think in our megachurch mentality, here in the West, we've kind of made it really simple. Get a charismatic pastor, get t- two to three to 5,000 people to join a church, buy a big parcel of land, have a killer youth group, get the rock star youth pastor and musician guys going on here, and everybody has a feel-good experience at church. And meanwhile, the culture's going to hell in a handbasket because we're not actually preaching the gospel. We're not actually right. living it out. We've created more of an entertainment-driven, consumer-driven Christianity. And then we are surprised when our kids go off to college and they leave the faith. Well, they leave, they're leaving a faith they never really had. So, I mean, th- and that permeates every area of our lives. I mean, it, yeah. when it comes down to health, wellness, I mean, p- people are talking about, you know, the, the concerns with COVID and things of that nature. But what about the problems with obesity and smoking and high blood pressure in, in the church as well? I mean, we, we don't address the, the, the stewardship issues, I think, the way that we should. And so the fact that we're, we're s- sitting in this situation right now and facing leftist government entities that want to force this uh, 
literally getting down to the core. I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created Adam and Eve, male and female. And the, the enemy is so disappointed in that, so angry with that, that basically now it's not just did God really say you couldn't eat the fruit. It's did God really say you're male or female, and those are your only two options. I mean, it, th this kind of deception is so uh, insidious. It's so, it's so awful. I mean, uh, Bob, I wish there were a pill. I wish there were a mm. shot. I wish there were some one way to do it. It's going to take a collective, and it's going to take time. But it really is just a question of each of us individually in our own resolve saying, choose you this day who you'll serve. Yeah, well, you know, Roger, it does seem as though, and I think we, we all observe this, the the church is is not in good shape, okay? We are kind of being sifted to a remnant. Nominal Christianity is growing, a redefining of Christianity, counterfeits and such, redefining who Jesus is, redefining the gospel, and basically a narcissistic religion cult of me. You know, I, I want to I want to do and believe what I want to do and believe and what makes sense to me, what seems fair to me, and that's all that matters, and I'm just taking Jesus along for the ride. And, and unfortunately, this is something that is just spreading more and more throughout the church. You know, we, we, we don't even want to believe that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone and his shed blood. We want to believe that heaven is a reward for nice people who have some form of spirituality, and this is spreading inside the church. And so what happens is the culture is shaping the church. We, we've lost our saltiness. We're not salt and light in the world anymore. We're basically taking on the flavor of our surroundings. And it's just unfortunate to see it spreading like this through the church. Uh, and I guess, Roger, to your point, I want to give you a chance as a pastor to respond to this, and then we'll get to uh, to John as well. I've been doing my radio show here at Crawford Media Group, for Crawford Broadcasting, for 21 years. And I got to tell you, I've had a lot of debates over the years, but 20 years ago, the overwhelming majority of everybody that I was debating were the the atheists, you know, the Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, the Planned Parenthood, ACLU, the, the leftist groups, homosexual groups and such. Today, guys, 80% of every debate I have on my show are pastors, Bible scholars, theologians, yeah. Christian authors, uh, somebody from Zondervan or University Press or, or you know, some of the main Christian publishing companies. Like, these are the people I'm debating now. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not. I haven't changed anything. None of my positions have changed in 20 years, and so it seems to me we've got a real problem, Roger, with the church taking on the flavor of the culture. Boy, it's interesting you mentioned IVP because every week I get the pitch list. I think you, we all do, and I look at some of the titles and just say, "What in the world happened to the company?" I know. Company? Isn't that crazy? I mean, you know, that, that used to be one of the ones where you look at and say, "Okay." And Baker, Baker Publishing too. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how just a, a shift in ownership or a shift in focus, but also a shift in culture, too. And I understand that there are some issues in the culture that we have not dealt with in the church, and there are some voices that are speaking into those, and I'm willing to hear them, I mean, obviously, and have a discussion with them. But who'd have, who'd have thunk that we would be doing so much debating within the church? And yet, right. this kind of goes back to George Barna's research with the American Worldview Inventory of 2021. 176 million people in the United States profess faith in Christ. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus, they believe they're going to heaven, et cetera, et cetera. 15 million of those 176 million actually live a biblical worldview. If you go through and ask them questions about what it literally means, the same people who say, oh yes, I believe in God, I love Jesus, are saying, yeah, but same-sex marriage is okay, and sex before marriage is just fine, and you know, cheating every now and again, you know, God helps those who help themselves, you know, we've, we've quoted all <laughs> those before. But, but it's, it's so true, so you, you, you begin to wonder, John, to your point, if Christians would 
go and vote, if Christians would run for office, if Christians would be more actively involved in the culture. And understand, too, and I, th- I can't stress this one enough, and I'm sure you guys could, would, would echo the sentiment, though I'd be curious to get your take on it. I saw a video the other day from a group called the American Principles Project, and they are one of those, you know, hey, let's get back to, you know, America the way we know it, you know, family and faith and this, that, and the other thing. And it's an all-white family, and they're kind of glibly going through the day saying, hey, you know, we don't like leftism and, you know, support our movement. And I thought to myself, if I were a person of color, if I were someone who had been marginalized, if I were been, you know, and, and still in the church, I would look at that and say, okay, so where am I, you know, in all this? I mean, this is the church that has become so vilified in the culture, the white megachurch, you know, Protestant-driven, consumer-based, you know, whatever. And it was so easy to click it off, and I thought, wait, we're on the same team here. And yet the yeah. messaging now is everything. I mean, every word that comes out of our mouth. A guy like Mark Robinson says, hey, homosexual uh, literature is filth. And all of a sudden, what do they do? Filth. Oh, I'm so offended. And then, you know, and you lose them. I mean, so you realize that it's kind of like doing mission work in your own backyard where we really have to watch the tone and, and be more careful. Not because we're afraid of offending anybody, but understanding, look, if I come at you with a fire hose and you're holding a communion cup, there's only so much you can take. And this is where we live. I mean, right mm-hmm. now, that, right here in our culture. Right. John, uh, hang on a second. Yeah. Short break. I want to get your response to that more. The National Crawford Roundtable podcast as we wind it down next. Dr. Michael Youssef leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Youssef. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Kind of winding down this National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with uh, John Rush, Roger Marsh, myself, Bob Duco, Neil Bohr. I'll be back with us in a couple of weeks. Uh, John, your take on what Roger was saying there, and, and by the way, also, when he was saying, you know, if Christians would just get out there and vote, if Christians would just, mm-hmm. part of the challenge, and he's absolutely right, but part yes, of the challenge is how is. we even define Christians, because a whole bunch of people that are True. that are that are buying into the leftist ideology are calling themselves Christians, even though it doesn't line up with Scripture. Yeah. So, it seems to me, yes, Christians need to get active. We also need to define and kind of clarify exactly what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, agree, and, and this is probably a whole nother conversation for another day. But guys, a lot of this starts even at the you know, Bible college seminary level where literally the left has infiltrated there as well. And that's the reason why we've got a lot going on in the church today. I believe that we have is because a lot of these students, these kids that go into ministry that have come out of that type of of learning environment have been taught the very things that you got, you know, that we're right now talking against. And and by the way, I can't I can't reiterate more of what Roger said. It seems anymore that I have more debates on my program with these so-called authors and experts along oh, all these lines. And and I just think to myself, holy cow, have things I've only been doing this for seven years, Bob, not the twenty some years you have, but even in seven years, there's been a big shift in that world to where, you know, I'm now debating people that are supposedly supposed to be the experts and smarter than I on said topic. I mean, I've had I've had arguments with with, you know, quote unquote experts on how Christians should not only be getting the vaccine but inc- encouraging other Christians to get it done and if you're not, you're somehow a selfish Christian. I mean, guys, this has got to a level where I, I, this is my fear. 
Is there any turning back now? Do we have any hope that we can actually salvage what's going on right now? Is, is there any hope for that? That's my question. Well, you know what? Can the toothpaste get back in the tube? I'll tell you right now, uh, we shouldn't be surprised by what's going on. Uh, certainly, Jesus told us that it's going to be like, it's going to be as it was in True. the days of Lot and in the days it was of Noah. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he even find faith? So it does seem to me that true, authentic, biblical Christianity is supposed to kind of be, you know, I hate the term dying on the vine, but but at least being sifted down to a remnant where we're we're separating uh, the wheat from the chaff. And it does seem, Roger, that that's what's going on right now because Christianity isn't being eliminated. It's just being redefined in some yeah. kind of new and improved. It's new, but it's certainly not improved. Uh, but this is what's happening. So people are having their own lives, their own feelings, their own affirmations, their own beliefs. Uh, they're living their lives for themselves, and they're merely putting a cross around their neck and stamping a Jesus stamp on it. And and so that's what that's what Christianity has become today. We're not competing against Hollywood anymore. We're competing against the church across the street with a rainbow colored cross on their building and a whole bunch of other wayward theology as well. So this is the real challenge, Roger, is that we, we it's now Christian versus finger quote Christian. And, and this is why we really need discernment of the Holy Spirit. We need to stay in God's word and we need to stand fast to the truth and not cave because a lot of Christians are doing it. Yeah, if we don't take the full counsel of Scripture into account, then we wind up with you know that marginalization that we that you're seeing in that description where one church is you know preaching the true gospel and another church is preaching the rainbow gospel or whatever it was. I, I was surprised to learn, and I, I'd known about this, but actually saw a copy at the Museum of the Bible. Uh, one of the Bibles that they have is a slave Bible. And it's the Bible they used to use during slave times where they would literally go through and cut out the parts that they didn't want the slaves to see about emancipation <laughs> and freedom and Christ and justice and liberty. They would literally just cherry pick. I, I interviewed a guy a couple of years ago who's a former Grand Wizard with the KKK. And I asked him how he came to Christ. And he said, well, I was recruited in middle school by a teacher, if you can believe it, uh, to be a member. But he became a, a, a Grand Poobah by the time he had graduated from high school. But he felt like he wanted to get out, and he at age 21. And they said, well, uh, I'll tell you what, we need a chaplain at this one chapter. And apparently the KKK has had chaplains who would find parts of Scripture that they could use to kind of amp up the uh, racial tension. And so he said, I, they gave me a Bible. I'd never read one before. I went home. I started reading the Gospel of John, and I got saved. And I had to go back and tell them, I'm a Christian now, and there's, you know, I'm leaving. And they basically kind of put him in like a witness protection, you know, thing at age 21, saying, look, if you ever speak out and talk about what we, you know, did here, we'll, we'll have you killed. And he's been living like this ever since, where, I mean, he's been more bold, bold in speaking out. He's written a book, et cetera, et cetera. But I realized that, you know, Scripture has been misused and misaligned. And if I watch one more sermon, I mean, I've kind of become the, you know, we, we worship on a regular basis in person, but I got used to the Zoom and YouTube versions of a lot of church services during the pandemic. If I hear one more sermon where the pastor gets up and gives this kind of gospel presentation, you know, God loves you, and he wants you to be with him, and he wants to be with you. So just give your life to him. I'm thinking, you know, if my wife came home from work one day and said, honey, there's this guy at work, and he keeps telling me he loves me. And he wants me to be with him. And that's going to be great. We would call the police. 
I mean, right. there, there's, it's, it's more than just God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's God loves you, and you're a sinner, and you're going to hell if no one pays for your sin. And so God loves you so much that he sent his son to go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. That's why you should just be listening to this gospel invitation. Not just because God loves you and has a wonderful plan. Well, obviously people are saying, okay, well, God loves me, and the president loves me, and the government loves me, and my neighbors loves me, so this is great. Everyone just loves me. And not realizing that the reason God loves us and sent his son is because we have the problem. It's a sin problem, and there is a remedy for it. So, I mean, woe to us if we continue to preach this half gospel or third gospel and then wonder why the culture is going sideways well i mean we're 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 reaping what we've sown right so true so true Uh, well i'll tell you what i think that is a great uh word to kind of end this on but before we completely close it out uh i have to i have to ask you john about something going on in your own backyard that's really not related to what we're talking about here actually it's more of a covid related thing uh, but the case of Jamie Fogner and Leilani Latali that's uh, gained a lot of national news, but it's right there out of Colorado, your backyard. Uh, and, of course, this is the lady who uh, she's stage five renal uh, failure. She needs right. a kidney or she's going to die. Uh, she's already had COVID, and she's been tested with antibodies currently. So she is more protected than uh, than any other patient there, kidney transplant patient who's just been vaccinated. Her donor, uh, Jamie Fogner, is a uh, uh, this is a sister in Christ. They met at a Bible study, and she's like, you know what? I'm willing to donate my kidney. We're a match. That's great. Uh, she's been tested negative. She can get tested negative right before the uh, right before the operation. But you know what? Doesn't matter. The hospital says, uh, nope. Uh, UC Health, forget it. Uh, you're not vaccinated, either one of you. You're not able to get this. Now they're having to look for a donor somewhere else. Now the Cleveland Clinic has said, hey, that's our policy too. My goodness. But I'm just kind of curious. Actually, I have both of these ladies uh, coming on on my show today, so I'm curious to get an update on them. But I'm curious uh, before I interview them. John, have you heard anything new? Have they been able to find a hospital to facilitate this? Not that I'm aware of. No, I've got people, uh, you know, continually, you know, kind of give me updates on the story, you know, folks that are, are, you know, probably just a few steps away from them. And to my knowledge, no, and, and again, this is this is where, you know, just putting a policy in place to put a policy in place without actual real solid, let's, let, I'm going to call it what everybody else does, science to back up that decision because there is no science to back up their decision, guys. It, and, and I will also add, this is UC Health. And for those that don't know what UC Health is, that's the University of Colorado Health. So you've got one of the most liberal colleges in the West running this particular hospital. This Mm -hmm. does not shock me, guys. That's my point. Yeah, I know. And you know what's really disgusting about this is now Cleveland Clinic comes out and in essence says, yeah, that's that's our policy too. Now, we are not going to allow any transplants to take place as well with both sides aren't. And and this doesn't – they don't give an exemption to people that have natural antibodies, natural immunity, even though Cleveland Clinic happened to do this study of 52,238 of their own employees. And they found clearly in their own study that natural immunity is not just stronger but way, way, way stronger protection against catching COVID than vaccine immunity. Cleveland, but still, it's like this, it's it's become a cult religion for some of these it has. people, it, it seems. Has. I know. exactly right. Well, uh, be a good interview. Yeah, yeah, I am looking forward to it. I just hope and pray that uh, 
that, that some hospital comes through here for them. It's another week, folks, of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. We always appreciate you folks tuning in, and you can listen to previous episodes as well at crawfordmediagroup.net or, of course, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And John Rush, Roger Marsh, myself, Bob Duco, uh, Neil prodigal boron we'll be back with us in a couple of weeks and uh john roger always get great catching up with you thanks a lot uh, we'll look forward to next week next couple of weeks maybe a little bit of halloween-ish kind of discussions we'll have from a christian perspective of spooky Ooh, that's right <laughs> so all right guys hey we'll see you next week Thanks, guys. You bet. And thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.